is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Welcome to another episode of the Twilight Highlight Zone. I'm your host, Jeff Quirk. And each week, we watch five episodes of the Twilight Zone, talk about our thoughts. I'm here with my friend, Ben Hansen. Oh, friend. Thank you, Jeff Quirk. This week, we're talking about episodes 11 through 15. Of season three. Season three, exactly. Are we halfway? Does this mark the halfway point this episode? It could. I haven't skipped ahead. Yeah, the so season four stuff is, is kind of funky because it's hour long. So we're That's bracing correct. for that. It's quite a brace. We're going to start off this block with... An episode I like to call Still Valley because that's the name of the episode. So we start off with the Confederate Army, right? I feel like we just saw this. I know. We're in the Civil War again, which is okay. fascinating stuff. A <laughs> lot of material to mine here. Confederate Army. They're looking down. They're like scouts. They got to go to the city because they hear that the Union is going there to resupply. They send a couple of scouts. Guy goes there. Lo and behold, the Army is there. They thought they were gone because it was quiet. They are there. They're totally frozen. All of them frozen. So he wanders around a little bit and finds one person who's seemingly unaffected by this freezing epidemic. And it is a guy who says, oh, yeah, I did this. It's totally uh, I'm a witch. My father was a witch. Him before it. Whatever. Who knows how, how long our family's been doing it. A long time. And I did this. And I'll tell you what, I can do this to the whole army if you want. It's going to kill me, but you'll have to do the spell. You have to use this magical book, right? And to do it, you'll have to... You'll have to side with the devil himself. And the guy's like, uh, okay. So he goes back and nobody believes him. And then another scout comes and is like, oh yeah, he's totally, this is totally legit. Everyone's frozen. He's like, okay. Then they look through the scout, the spell book. And not only do they have to side with old scratch, they have to denounce God. And at that point they throw the book into the, into the fire and say, to heck with it. We'll just go to Gettysburg see what happens there. The <laughs> end. And they want to bury their cause with dignity. With dignity. And that's how the South lost the Civil War. That's how that one episode where they're all walking in single file. Yeah. This was like the precursor to that episode. That's why the last person walking was the book with two little legs <laughs> behind his Lincoln. He was like the Bill from uh, Schoolhouse Rocks. <laughs> with evil eyebrows. <laughs> I think it said witchcraft on his cover too, which is a little... I don't know. Would you want to have that on the cover? You try and hide it a little bit. You wouldn't want it on the shelf. You could. It's not a good coffee table book, I don't think. No. And that old guy, he looked like such a crazy character. He reminded me of like Jafar's old man costume from the beginning of Aladdin. Yes. He's like, hee, go in the cave. Yeah. Like, that's how ridiculous this guy was. Yeah. I thought what was interesting about this is we've seen a similar thing on a previous episode of Twilight so Zone. So similar, yeah. Elegy. You remember that episode? Yeah, where they go into this small town. It turns out that it's a funeral planet. Right. Or a... Uh, cemetery graveyard wax museum yeah planet. people like being memorialized at their their favorite time yeah I'm assuming that's not what these people are doing they're just like being soldiers but yeah. i will say i think they learned from their mistakes they didn't get any like obvious blinkers they didn't cast nope. them they panned really quickly they didn't hold the shot i mean there's some guys like shifting their weight a little bit because muskets they are people. moving a little bit yeah but yeah by and large they did a fantastic job of selling the illusion there's like guys in like what, like with buckets and it looks like they were in the middle of that's oh. the thing there's one guy who's in towards the back of the wagon he's holding this giant barrel in outstretched arms and even yeah. if that's the lightest barrel yeah it still would be super tough to hold still he does a great job yeah also like this is so similar to elegy 
it has like the same stinger before the second commercial break of like, oh, it's a completely still town. What's going on? And then one person moves and it's like, dun, 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 dun. Oh, it was like, a, you just see this hand fumbling through the window. Yeah. And then it turns out to be this old man. It, yeah. The first tease of what's going on in this town, and I'd love to know if this is intentional, but when I was first watching it, I wrote down in my notes, because when they're the two scouts talking and they're like, hey, look down at that town. We got to go in there. And the one guy's a coward. That's like a weird plot that doesn't really go too many places. I guess he wants to, the coward wants to invoke Satan to win the war. Yeah. That's kind of where that goes. Cowardice anyway, is kind of a big deal in the Twilight Zone. Yeah. It's a huge deal. Uh, and so the, the two scouts are looking down at the town and it cuts to the town and you notice from like the lack of grain that like it, they're just cutting to a still photograph of like mm-hmm. an old timey town. And I wrote that on my notes like that's so cheap, that's stupid. But now I wonder if they were being cheap or they're being super clever by cutting to a still photograph because the entire town is frozen. Why does it have to be one or the other? <laughs> it has to. <laughs> and then when he gets down there and he's wandering around this town, it's like, oh, how could this be? Are you guys dead or asleep? Yep. Uh, I my theory. Was mm-hmm. that because of the coward's conversation with him earlier about how war used to be like a children's game and then it got more serious, that type of thing. I thought the twist was going to be that they were all in a child's game and they were all toys or they're going to somehow play back into that conversation. Characters but... being toys is absurd. What's this? <laughs> that would never, That's ever the dumbest happen. That's concept ever. Person looking like a toy. Oh, shut up, Ben Hansen. All right, thank you. Uh, so that's where I was expecting this episode to go. I... I didn't really expect witchcraft, but why not? Yeah, witchcraft is kind of like a, in my opinion, yeah, kind of the slightly more clever on the continuum, but it's it's butting heads right up against it was all a dream. Yeah. When you start bringing mysticism into stuff. Also, I don't understand. So when they're frozen, they can still hear things. He makes it clear. And then... Because mm-hmm. they're not weird... dead. He makes the distinction. They're not dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah. we're cool. I mean, no need to press yeah. charges. We're all good. But then, like, he freezes the protagonist in his place. But then yeah. he's like, if you can understand me, wink your eye. Yes. And the guy does. So it's like, they can move some things. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't all those soldiers just constantly be winking? Well, maybe he had, like, a different level that he was doing just as a, a thought experiment. Like, oh, I see. here, I'll show you. Here's, like, I'll crank it up to eight for you. Everyone else is getting, like, a full ten treatment. <laughs> now, here's a question for you. Yeah. If you were one of the Confederate soldiers, knowing how things were, would you just run around and bayonet everybody? Oh, I, that would be... See, this is the problem with this episode, is there's so many things that would be more fun than the where this episode goes. And they, <laughs> Bayoneting everyone. It would be a super fun episode, wouldn't it? If he just goes around and just stabs everybody. And they don't have to be graphic about it. I'm not, I'm not a weird gore porn yeah. guy. But like, it would be a more entertaining premise. Or even at the end, mm-hmm. when they choose to reject Satan, it falls into that camp of, well, it makes sense for you guys, but how much more fun would the episode be if they embraced Satan and then froze the entire Union army? Yeah. And so it's that weird thing where as a viewer, you're rooting against your protagonist. And this is a weird comparison, but did you see Tron Legacy? No. Watching Tron, Tron Legacy, I had that same thing where the villain in that movie wanted to escape Tron and get into the real world and kind okay. of take over the real world with his digital army. And as the protagonist, they're fighting against him. But it's like, as a viewer, you just want to see that because it'd be so much more entertaining as a film. Yeah. Where would they go with that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe they're going to touching it with the next maybe one. we won't go like total psycho like you were doing with like enjoying watching everyone die no yeah. blood so it's cool maybe <laughs> what they could have done instead is like tied a rope across the street right at about like Ooh. ankle height yeah that's so good. everyone like when the, when they resume marching they just kind of collapse in a big pile mm-hmm. and then they realize the absurdity of war and then they all laugh 
Yes. And then the coward is killed for being a coward. Exactly. A coward. You're yellow. <laughs> it's disgusting. I like that he used the witchcraft towards the end, but he didn't... Was it like he projected it far away so he didn't see the consequences? But that's what the other troop unit saw mm -hmm. and that's how they validated that this is in fact true because he tried out the spell on some other soldiers right 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 but what was just kind of like a vague like i'm just using it over there and then they stumbled across those people it must have been I, I had the impression that like he didn't get up close and personal with it he didn't maybe he just didn't know what he was doing yeah. he's new to witchcraft so he knows that you have to embrace satan right but it never crossed his mind that the good lord might not be cool with that yeah, I thought, he, like, was he just going to be like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play both sides at the same time? What would you give this one? I ended up giving this one a five. I gave this one a six, which is one-third of 666 in honor of the devil. Next episode called The Jungle. <laughs> I am so excited I'm about really this I'm really excited episode. to talk about this one, too. All right, without spoiling what I think of this episode, the basic plot is there's a guy that works for a corporation and they're building a hydroelectric dam in the deep, dark heart of Africa. Uh, and his wife is very superstitious. They just moved back from Africa, back into Manhattan, I think. Yes. Uh, and she is very worried about the tribal natives of Africa cursing them and the shamans torturing them. Shamans, shamans, shamans. Witch doctor. Witch doctors torturing them from across the ocean because they disturbed the native lands of Africa with this hydroelectric dam. So this guy says, oh, that's nonsense. And then slowly starts coming around and tries to convince the board that, hey, it's, you know, magic, it's real, superstitions, you should kind of be worried about it. And then throughout the course of the episode, he is tortured by the sounds of Africa and is constantly scared of getting killed by these weird curses uh, and then the end of the episode, he finally gets back to his house, opens the bedroom door, and there is a lion who has eaten his wife and mm -hmm. is now sitting on the bed, and then it eats him. Yes. Africa! <laughs> the dark continent. <laughs> yeah, this Africa. Was, boy, when this one started, right out of the gate, it's him walking into the living room where his wife is, and he's like, yes. hey, I was looking for my cufflinks. I couldn't find it. I was right next to this human finger. Yeah. <laughs> like human weird... finger, some kind of talon, <laughs> some weird feathered voodoo doll thing. And it, the whole time he's like going through it, his hands were shaking. And I was like, what is going on with this actor? Yeah. And I didn't realize until later, it's like, it's on purpose because he's losing his, his grip, right? Or at least I hope so, because they incorporate that. He holds his hands out in front of him later on. Yeah. You see him kind of shaken. Yeah, he's slowly losing it throughout the episode. Yeah. He seems better in the beginning, but when it starts to go off the rails is when he opens the front door to leave to go to work, and there's a goat, and the this bongo is... drums start... Da, 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 oh, yeah. Da, 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 just starts slowly building underneath it as he sees this goat. If you've ever seen the episode of... I don't know in what the episode would be called, but when Donald Duck is in the <laughs> in the, the, the stew pot, and the, like, the yes. natives are going to eat him, <laughs> that's the kind of music that is like scoring this entire thing. Yeah, or it's like the sound that the Jumanji board makes on the beach in the yeah. end of Jumanji. Or all the all the birds that you imagine when you think of Africa. Yeah. Or like the jungle. Basically, this is the Jungle Cruise yes. from Disneyland. Yes, that is exactly it. He's at work, and I liked that part where he's... I mean, it might be a cliche speech, but I still liked it when he's like, oh, you make fun of these natives in Africa for being superstitious. Look at us. We're magicians and warlocks sitting here in our 
corporate office building with no 13th floor and you have a lucky rabbit's oh, foot. Like, what time is it? And the guy fishes it. Well, what's this? A keychain with a rabbit's foot. Yeah, yeah. And so he just kind of connects the dots between You American. and astrology. Well, astrology's done very fine by... I've done very fine by astrology. Thank you very much, young man. Like, uh. <laughs> so he's just connecting superstitions in America with the ridiculous shaman yeah witchcraft nonsense in africa i think it was kind of like they're we're kind of putting africa in a really bad light let's we're hey we're part of the problem too (laughs) turns out yeah yeah so this is one of the cheapest episodes for them to produce because so much of it is just the sounds of africa right like the oh god it's so cool so he goes into the phone booth because it's and i think he's trying to dial out and then it rings and then it is just the sounds of Africa and weird birds mm-hmm. screaming and it, the phone dangles and he runs away. Yeah. And then he keeps hearing lions throughout. So this, when I was watching this episode, uh, we have a, a cat that kind of ingratiated himself into our lives. And he was on my chest as I was watching it. Uh-huh. And he was losing his mind with all the animal sounds. Like his ears were just totally flattened back and he was <laughs> very confused by the whole thing. So that's a completely irrelevant detail. To our listeners. So you're saying you felt guilty about the strip mining in Africa? I, I thought, a hydroelectric dam, what a cost. <laughs> My ears would would go back too. Before he goes to the phone booth, though, remember, yeah. he's at the bar talking about like, uh, I found this in my pocket, you know, this this lion's tooth yeah. charm, and he like slams it onto the bar for effect and then walks out of the bar. Because his wife put it in there. Right, and leaves it behind and... and so without the lucky amulet, that's when he really starts getting tortured. Exactly. But I like that bar scene where he's talking with his friend, and it's like good, jokey, drunken banter where he's saying like, hey, if I had to get a goat in an hour, where would I go? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like the toe thing for Big Lebowski, I guess. Yeah. And then he's like, okay, screw this. I'm not going to walk to my apartment. I'm going to take a cab. What could go <laughs> yes. wrong there? So he gets in the cab, yes. and the guy's like, okay, let's go. And then they're, they stop at a, a traffic light, and... Nothing is happening. Nothing's happening. And he's like, uh, sir, a driver, it's a green light. You can go. And then it just it kind of shakes him and just slumps over dead. It's like this African curse affects anyone who is like getting in the way. Yeah. That's the thing is like, you never know if this episode is in reality or if it's in the twilight zone, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> that was stupid to say, but you never know where it's at. Yeah. And the- like it, it's. Manhattan, but it, the streets are empty except for that driver who gets cursed and dies. And mm-hmm. there's a hobo later. Yeah. And he's like trying to bribe the hobo yep. to escort him home because he's so freaked out of walking through Central Park. And right before you see the hobo, he's like, there's a costume shop, right? And he sees like a gorilla mask. And there is a very real guy holding <laughs> a spear. And you could see like it's a real person. He's got like, he does, I don't know that he blinks or whatever, but it, it, I wonder why they had a guy because he doesn't move. Well, yeah, mannequins are expensive. Yeah, where are you going to get a mannequin? And it has the, the crazy sh- like cut-to shot of him with the elephant. Yeah. Just to really drive it home. Yeah. Uh, and then the hobo disappears. Uh, so that kind of reconfirms like what is going on. Mm-hmm. I guess he is in an alternate dimension yeah. where he's just constantly being tortured. Then mon- he, he really takes his time going through Central Park, too. Yeah, that's the one place you think he wouldn't want to linger. And you hear like monkey sounds, and you see like the trees are r- rustling around like monkeys are in there. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I wrote down... Really early in this episode, I think like right when he puts that lion's tooth down in my notes, he had better see a lion at some point in this episode. Yes. And maybe I was just used to Jumanji. This whole episode's very Jumanji, but I was waiting for that shot of him opening a door and a lion's there. Mm-hmm. And when he got back to his apartment, because they foreshadowed his wife in the very beginning that you are going to die. 
by the end of the day. Yeah. They're like, you aren't making it back alive or something like that. Yeah. And so I knew at some point he was going down. And then when he got to his apartment, I was so happy that there was a lion sitting in his mm-hmm. bedroom. You know, our hero, you, he might recognize him from another episode of The Twilight Zone. I can think of where. Which one? He's the guy who delivered the bot on the lonely. Oh, Mr. <laughs> delivery man. Exactly. Wow. Did you recognize him or did you look it up? I was like, I looked it up because I was like, that guy seems super familiar. Wow. A lot of those guys do, though. They have that, that weird Walt Disney yeah, kind yeah. of quality to them. Yeah. Why do you think they recycle so many people in The Twilight Zone? I would imagine, like, hey, this guy showed up on time and was delightful to work with so let's bring him back all right so clearly well maybe not clearly do you think rod serling was going for like a, a slavery analogy with this whole episode like I, the guilt I of slavery or something was i don't that, know that slavery was a factor i think it was more just arrogance of our culture of the white man the white man i don't think there's anything wrong with this episode i thought he was super fun throughout the entire thing mm-hmm. i was always on the edge of my seat every time there's a new Africa torture device. Yeah. I was always on board. Did you think that that cat lady was going to show up? Yep. Maya the cat girl. She was just around the corner. Yeah. Hiding in the bedroom. I also, I like just the very subtle, there's no dramatic reveal, but just the subtle dead wife in the room with the lion. Yeah. Just like a wig. Yeah. Yeah. Like it already took her out. <laughs> I really liked this episode. Yeah. I ended up giving it a nine. Really? Yeah. I liked it a lot too. I gave it a seven. A seven. Thought, yeah. Okay. It was just one of those where, yeah, I, I was constantly on the edge of my seat. I thought it was fun throughout the entire thing. Mm-hmm. It had a cool, fun ending. Mm-hmm. Done. That's there a you nine. Go. Next episode, Once Upon a Time. And this one is complete departure from anything we've seen before and probably will see since because uh, when we begin, it takes the tone of a silent movie. Yeah. With like those little title cards. And when, when someone speaks, you know, they mouth the dialogue. If you've never seen a silent movie before, and a little, another card will show up with like the words, right? And like piano music accompanying the whole thing, right? The gist of it is that there's this guy who is a janitor and he's grumpy in 1890. He's grumpy because the price of meat is through the roof and fancy hats are super expensive and people are racing down the streets with their penny farthing bicycles. And policemen are, are giving him a hard time. So he's a janitor for a couple of famous inventors, and they invent a time-traveling helmet. So he puts it on after he, he loses his hat or a pants in, a, in a, an awful falling in a, a trough of water accident. Hilarious. So he's pantsless. And he goes back. He, he moves it forward in time because he's like, ah, anything will be better than this, this terrible 1890 nonsense. So he moves it to 1960. And then it turns to a traditional sound a talkie if you will and it's super loud meat is even more expensive fancy hats as you might expect are crazy expensive instead of buggy whips you have spark plugs being advertised and he the hat breaks someone takes the hat someone else takes the hat he's chasing after it then this other guy comes and fortunately that guy is an electronic scientist and he's like oh i can fix this hat and they go to get it repaired as it turns out, this guy is also an enthusiast. In 1890 is his favorite year, and he talks about how great it's going to be, and they both go back to 1890 because the guy is like, I just want to go home. And the guy from 18, the uh, guy from 1960 hates it. It sucks. It's boring. So 1890 guy puts the hat on him, sends him back in the future. The end. Teach their own is the lesson. Teach their own is the lesson. <laughs> there we go. So... When this episode started, I immediately thought, this is the same TV show as Death's Head Revisited. <laughs> like, 
Just think of the leap between these two episodes. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't think of two more, like in the same season, just like exactly. a few episodes apart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they were going for... Pure... This is Buster Keaton, I should man. Yeah, they're huge... just trying to go for a Buster Keaton. Well, it was Buster Keaton, too, and it was like the actor... Wait, that was literally Buster that Keaton? That was literally Buster Keaton. <laughs> I didn't so, even see that. Yeah, that was a pretty pretty good performance of a Buster <laughs> Keaton-like role, and they thought, we'd ca- we'll cast Buster Keaton. So it's like super slapsticky. Uh, like at one point, they're guys hiding behind another guy so that they don't see you know, the police doesn't see him but the they, fun they, thing about this episode is yeah it starts out at like that weird 18 frames per second mm-hmm. sped up kind of look like yeah the silent movies but then they go to the 60s and they keep the same tone where they try and do the same kind of slapsticky stuff yeah in the 60s with you know modern cameras and mm-hmm. it just it comes across as bizarre it is not funny and there's no music underneath to kind of soften it so it mm-hmm. just comes across as them trying really hard to be wacky and comedic and it just feels awkward yeah like there's two kind of extended bits with a vacuum cleaner like he sits on it at one point and then the other time it's just really loud he gets stuck in a box yeah and, weird sarcophagus that's in yeah. that repair store but yeah. the bit with the fat guy i think is is the the funniest actual comedic bit in the episode where the cop's trying to find him mm-hmm. and he keeps trying to like put himself behind the fat guy depending yep. on what angle the cop's looking at him at yeah maybe that's that fat humor that that one commenter was talking about like making fun of fat people i think making fun of fat people is also uh, fats brown also might be exactly from yeah. a game of pool it could be a reference to that yeah, but like when he first comes across the fat guy in the beginning, of course they like run right into him, and then he's like sitting on his face and yeah. stuff, and uh, <laughs> it's it's not great. Yeah, it was really silly, and it's it's exceptionally broad, but you know, I mean, like it it was successful, and that was physical humor from the silent era, and they did that really well. Yeah. You can all you can question whether or not that's something you want to see because when it like was regular footage, it looked like the Three Stooges. You know what I mean? It was like that. Yeah. It's that level of comedy. Something about it being like the eighteen frames per second. Yeah. In title cards, it adds a certain amount of charm to it. Yes. And when it doesn't have that to fall back on, for me at least, it's just like, man, I am too old for this. <laughs> this made me wonder if I took a show like Big Bang Theory and edited it down to eighteen frames a second. Yes. Sped it up a little bit, yeah. black and white, and then put inner titles in there. Right. After every joke. Right. I wonder how well it would fall in line. Just take like the most physical moments from some modern sitcom Mm -hmm. and just to see if it would fall in line. I don't think it would work because it's all reactions for the most part. I guess Modern sitcoms. Yeah. It's like some guy at the refrigerator with a glass of something looks at another character and says some like pithy observation. And then the other guy responds with like another equally witty retort. Yeah. (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) It's, it's weird that like, the 1890s in this episode is not really 1890s. It's like the movie version of the 1890s. Mm-hmm. Everything's kind of this weird, exaggerated, cartoon-like land. Yeah. Chickens everywhere. Apparently, chickens have taken over the world in 1890. Yeah. We didn't know. Well, a really depressing part for me, at least, was that the hat only goes up to 1990. I saw that, yeah. And I was thinking, God, that's... We would, you know what I mean? Like, that hat doesn't do us any good at all. Like we can't travel to the future with that hat. We couldn't. We couldn't even really no. see interesting yeah. parts in time. And it only works thirty minutes at a time. That's the whole gimmick. The inventors say it's thirty minutes, and I don't know if that's because the sparklers are that are on top of it are are only lit for thirty minutes or what? As it bursts into flames every time yeah. it goes through time. It's it's a weird episode. It is a super weird. And I like at the very end though, 
you have like that player piano doing the Twilight Zone theme. Yeah, I was nice bummed touch. out in the beginning when it was the 1890s style. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, it's going to be cool because Rod Serling is going to give his speech over intertitles. But then, no, it just cuts to him and he looks normal. It's with the yeah. modern cameras and he's just speaking. Yeah. It's like, why wouldn't they take advantage of that but whole thing? At least format? he could have worn like a bolo tie. Yeah, something. Or so some, some dumb old timey hat. Yeah, this is Rod Serling's homage to comedies of his youth. Yes. And <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Thanks, Grandpa. <laughs> I, I ended up giving this one a six. I gave it the same because I thought that the strength of the silent stuff was enough to kind of help bully yeah. the rest of the, the stuff. I thought just the idea of thinking about, you know, the formats and just playing in that space was fun, mm -hmm. but it was not a great episode. And also the helmet that. looked pretty cool. Yeah, it's true. Hey, no one's down the helmet. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one is five characters in search of an exit. Uh, opens up in a white room and is with a soldier. And he doesn't know how he got there or what's going on. He slowly encounters a clown, a ballerina, a hobo, and a guy playing the bagpipes. He doesn't understand what's happening. Uh, they're all confused about how they got there, who they are, and they all try to get out. Uh, they eventually get out by stacking on top of each other and creating like a grappling hook out of a gun or a sword. Uh, the soldier gets to the top of this weird white cylinder trying to figure out what's going on. He falls over the edge into the snow, uh, and then it's revealed that that is a toy collection bin and that they are all toys, mm -hmm. and then a child comes by and throws the soldier back in, and they're stuck there forever. Yes. This is a really sloppy, boring version of Toy Story. <laughs> it's basically what's going off. on here, yeah. And you forgot there's also, every, every once in a while, this won't have the punch now that we know what's going on, but... This giant gong would ring occasionally and shake yeah. them to their very quarters, their plastic quarters. Now we know, and it's a, they're ringing a bell, saying, "Hey, give us your dolls." But it's weird that that's the only sound that they hear inside of this bucket. That's true. They don't hear like the outside the, world at all, except for this gonging. The bell. giant people say, "Hey, bring us dolls." Yeah, and also like they keep focusing. The whole thing is a mystery about you know what's going on here, and it's a little bit like a puzzle episode, kind of like the one where the plane lands, where mm -hmm. Roger Ling's like, "Hey, try and figure this out." Yeah, we'll promise we'll reveal it to you, but we're not going to solve the problem here. Yeah, because these toys are screwed. Uh, and uh, and he keeps like cutting up to the top of the cylinder, and there's this weird like light. Yeah, I guess now it's like it's the street light. Yeah, but it was kind of confusing looking at the time. Okay, so the weird thing for me is at the end they. The little girl, they put the soldier in the bin, right? Yeah. At that point, it they're not actors anymore. It's this weird transitional phase where they're mannequins. Yeah. It, and they not only that, that's kind of creepy, but they weren't mannequins, but they were. Like, I, and then they had like these super grotesque painted eyes. And yeah. then the ballerina just starts weeping. <laughs> Because she's going to get played, the Rod Serling implies, you know, they're all going to find a home and everything is going to be great. But that was just, it made me feel super gross. Like, it to see the mannequin, weird. like, I don't know why they needed to do that. Why were they not alive anymore? Maybe, like, Ugh. maybe the problem is they wanted to show that they were still that size or that, mm -hmm. I don't know, that detailed. But if you have the humans again, then maybe there's like an implied drama and they have to continue yeah. the story. We already saw that though. You know what I mean? Like, when But they... maybe it's like at the end, like you can't close an episode mm -hmm. with, and now they're back in there and they could keep talking about this forever. 
I yeah, mean, that's I don't know. Point. And maybe it's just an easy way for them to be like, ah, eh, they're still the same people. Shut up. They're not going to talk. They're toys again. Yeah. Or maybe they've lost all hope. Maybe that that's why they don't remember because like they'll become self-aware after <laughs> the obvious escape of tying a rope to a saber and throwing it on the edge. Very precariously dangling on the edge of that. I hope that at some point in my life, I have the occasion to like create an improvised grappling hook. Yeah. And, and I doubt that it would support my weight. <laughs> That would fall, but this episode did a good job with the special effect of them like all stacking on top of each other yeah. vertically. Except, you know, they filmed it just by them lying down on the right. ground and kind of doing that weird wiggle thing. And the ballerina has to climb to the top. Mm-hmm. She's really shoving her face into the bagpipe guy's <laughs> skirt. <laughs> this is a weird shot. If you watch it again, it's slow I didn't, motion. I was paying it. I was like that bagpipe. It was like a great archetype on paper. But as soon as they started stacking, I'm like, that guy's got to be the low guy. <laughs> Just don't have anyone underneath him. It's no good. Yep. He's standing on top of John Kerry, hobo man. Yep. Weird looking figure. And then, so they collapse the first time they try and stack to get out of there. And they mention ahead of time that they're because the bell, because of the bell, but they mentioned ahead of time that they're going to get hurt when they fall. Yeah. But it was unclear when they fell, if they got hurt, like the ballerina's kind of like holding her uh, leg, but they weren't like writhing in pain. No. after Falling for, you know, 30 feet or whatever. Right. So maybe they don't feel pain after all and she just wasn't used to it. Yeah, that could be. I don't know. I, I like this episode because the clown is not... I didn't find the clown to be annoying. I thought it was like... Really? I thought it was like one of the best clowns. He was like... Weird Robin Williams clown? Super weird. Like a flower pot on his head and a little tiny umbrella, which those are the hallmarks of I don't like this clown kind of clown. The confusing- But it was good. Yeah, all right. I wasn't crazy about the clown. The confusing part to me was when they asked the clown, like, hey, we'll stack on top of each other. It'll be like the trapeze, like the circus. You know all about that. And he's like, just because I'm a clown, like, I should point out, like, I have no memories of ever being a clown. Yeah. But then the rest of the episode, he still acted like an idiot clown. That's just in his DNA. Oh. (laughs) Like the specific clown memories he doesn't know. (laughs) And I like when they're trying to cobble together a rope. He's like... Okay, we just need a rope. And the clown's like, yeah, we, uh, where are we going to get this rope from? Yeah. And it, everyone's like, ah, from our clothes and all this other stuff. And then the, the clown starts unraveling just a rope that is <laughs> like glued to his it's pants. It's like a major part of his pants is <laughs> rope. Like, yeah, that's awfully convenient. Yeah. I, I like that they couldn't remember exactly how they got there. The ballerina was super depressing. She oh. just spoke in this monotone voice. And the fun part was they were trying to figure out what was going on. And they spitballed basically the plot of every other Twilight Zone episode. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it's all a dream. Maybe this is hell. Maybe we're on a spaceship. Just like yep. running down every possible list. This that is we've a sensory gone deprivation chamber. And one of us is trying to be an astronaut. Maybe there's a small six year old boy that has wished us to this. <laughs> one of the ballerina's theories where she goes, perhaps there's a lot of dungeons like this. We've just never heard of them before. Perhaps they're for the unloved. So her best theory is that there's dungeons throughout the world that we don't know about where people that aren't loved are kept. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's like Eye of the Beholder. It's like for the uglies, but for the people that are uglies on the inside. <laughs> That's kind of projecting as well. Yeah. You she know? really had a lot of problems. I'm glad they didn't dive too much into her character because she really could have made the entire episode depressing. Yeah. That hobo really could have been a great accomplice for that too just looking at him it's a sad sex shuffling around <laughs> contributed very little to the yeah. cause yeah that's true uh i ended up giving this one a five hmm. one for each character i gave it a seven i liked it i don't know there's something about it i liked even though i sound kind of down on it did you know where it's going 
No, I like that. I like the mystery of it. Just kind of. You didn't guess that they were toys? No. What was your best guess? I had no idea. Okay. They were in search of an exit. Next up, Equality of Mercy. Here we go. This is going to be a real short summary because how they managed to stretch this into a half hour episode is pretty amazing testament to Twilight Zone. The Purple Testament. The Purple Testament. So we're in the middle of World War II. The Japanese have holed themselves up in a cave. There's a new guy, <laughs> a new <laughs> lieutenant. He comes and he's like full of piss and vinegar. And he says, all right, we're going to go storm it and kill these guys. And everyone's like, no, nah, this sucks. We're tired. He's like, nope, we're going to do it. Anyway, and they're like, okay. And then he pulls up his binoculars, drops them. Suddenly he comes to and he's part of the Japanese. And it's a whole situation, but it's reversed. And then he realizes that war stinks. And then he goes back to the Americans' side and then uh, emphasizes the fact that war stinks. And, and then the they let over. it go. Yeah. And then they learn that they dropped the atomic bomb. Yeah, because then everything will be fine. <laughs> and then everything was fine in the world after yeah. that. The, the only notable thing, in my opinion, about this episode yeah. is that Dean, I was like, where have I seen this actor before? Yeah, the, Dean, main, the main guy? Yeah, it's Dean Stockwell from Quantum Leap. It's Al. Wait, which which guy? The the piss and vinegar guy? Yeah. Okay, I was wondering. You thought it was Leonard Nimoy, you weirdo? <laughs> no, I did not. Okay. I was wondering the same thing about the kind of war ragged soldier in the yeah. beginning, the one that's like, okay, all right, let's go along with this jackass. Who is it? Uh, he was the guy who traveled forward in time in the execution. He was the badass guy. Oh, wow. Yeah, remember because I, I remember look, saying that he looked like an overweight, weird, evil Glenn Beck. When this episode started and they're like, oh, those people are holed up in that cave. We can't get them out. Mm -hmm. well, these mortar rounds, yada, yada, yada. I just expected the twist to be that they were Americans in that cave. Or dinosaurs, yeah. Or I was really hoping for <laughs> claymation dinosaurs, but I don't think we could yeah. really, really expect that. Although I didn't see the twist coming of him dropping the binoculars and that being some sort of time travel. Oh, yeah, because he traveled through time and also had makeup applied on him. That's my question. Was that the same? It was the same actor. So a they weird made, yellow face type. They did like a yellow face kind of thing, which even that in and of itself, that term is probably not appropriate <laughs> to use. Um, but they did something, you know, made his eyes look stereotypically Asian. Oh boy, he did the thing with like the halting English thing that America, like people who try to impersonate people from Japan, like number one son. Yeah. Also kind of thing. No, keep going. I don't understand. <laughs> Let me just launch into this really great impersonation I've been working on. <laughs> it was it was rough. Overall, I thought it was just a nice little war lesson. Clearly, Rod Serling's never going to run out of these. And like, I didn't think it was great. No. And then like the Japanese commander was like, You're, you've gone soft. You know, if we go in there and they're wounded, you have no problem just killing them because this is war. This is what it's yeah. all about. They but, made some uh, reference to... The fact that the Japanese were so smart that they were really good at taking out uh, American commanders. Like Forrest Gump. Exactly. <laughs> but like when he first gets there, he's like, hey, you know, commander, you should, lieutenant, I think is your rank. Yeah. Uh, you should take the little things off your helmet uh, and take the stripes off because they're going to shoot you if they know that you're in charge of this platoon. Like yeah. our other guys, they took the crap off, but yep. the Japanese saw them making commanding motions with their mm -hmm. hands and they shot them right. just from that. And since Rod Serling was in the war, I would imagine that that's a true story. Who knows? And you'd think that if the Japanese in the cave were able to do that with such amazing precision, why they wouldn't just kill everybody? Just, you know what? Like, ultimately, these guys are bad news. Let's just kill them all. Yeah. So did it imply that the troop that 
the Japanese troop that he traveled back in time to embody were the people in the cave? You know what, Hanson? <laughs> the original time period was... 45. 45, And then right. they went back to 42. Right. So I don't know. That would be some really crazy... Like, very, they're very persistent if that's indeed the case. Because well, it was May yeah, originally. The clue was that when the Japanese guy... When he became Japanese, when he yes. was turning Japanese, he ran up to the cave and then there was the American soldier shooting. Yes. But was that one of the guys that was... That's... I don't recall. Oh, you don't recall? I don't recall. How convenient. My attorneys told me that I don't have to answer that question. But again, like I didn't see this as the most offensive episode. Well, maybe racially offensive, but I didn't see it as I a think that, bad one. Let me be clear. I think that they did about as well a job as you could do at that time. Turning somebody Japanese. You know what I mean? Like, just in and of itself, like, that's that's... Probably as good, yeah. Like I said, that's as good as it gets. Yeah, it's not great, <laughs> but it's like if you're gonna make a guy look Japanese, you gotta do what you gotta do, I suppose. I Maybe didn't... cast a Japanese guy who also has a white guy counterpart. Yeah, yeah, that would have been a good pairing. Give him a scar. Ooh, that yeah. would have been good. Just have like a scar or a distinctive haircut. Mohawk. Yep. Yes. It went on so long. I I was just wow. like they're really milking this thing, and that was the payoff. Was that war stinks. <laughs> Rod Serling, we all know how you feel about war. Okay, jeez. <laughs> I ended up giving this one a six. Wow. Now, do you think this episode would have been better if they had frozen the Japanese in place using witchcraft? Not killed them afterwards. Not just killed them. Put them on pause until the end of the war. Yes. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> as it stands it, i gave it a four a four all right yeah. as low as i thought you were going yeah all right well there we go yeah it was a pretty mediocre batch i think yeah. that the jungle was really fun it was jungle probably the highlight the for me we really should make a show where we talk about the highlights of the twilight zone instead of just a lot of okay ah, capitulation zone <laughs> just kind of, ah. all right well thanks for tuning in be sure to join us next week for another installment and you can catch up. We'll be watching episodes 16 through 20. It's going to be good. It's going to be. I hope so. <laughs> I'm watching these things. <laughs> All right. In the meantime, uh, let us know what you think in the comments. Uh, rate us on iTunes if you feel like it. If you don't, hey, whatever. No big deal. Don't cost nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right on, man. Right, whatever. <laughs> Do what feels right. Jesus. Thanks again, and you can hear us next week. Twilight, Twilight, Twilight. Twilight.